0: On today's episode, we're going to look at motorcycle books and the incredible resource they represent. We're also going to talk about California, because lane splitting is legal. I'm Jim Martin. Stay with us. we got a good one for you.
1: Hi, I'm Sam Manico. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Brian Phil. Dustin Vance. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Susan Johnson. Robert Wicks. Spencer Conrad. Jill Borden.
0: Ted Sullivan. Elizabeth
2: Martin. Nisa. Nita.
0: And you're listening to
2: Adventure Rider Radio.
0: Adventure Rider Radio is supported by, in part, Max BMW Motorcycles, who's been outfitting Adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter, too. It's free at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com and best rest products home of cycle pump tire inflator tire and bead breaker easy air tire gauge and other adventure motorcycle gear you know when you're on the road or off the road for that matter you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method the cycle pump runs right off your electrical system and inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes made in the usa and has a lifetime warranty which is new it's the pump we use here at adventure rider radio see it for yourself at www.cyclepump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear, who offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles, tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. Green Chili Adventure Gear is also the exclusive USA distributor for Outback Motor Tech, a Canadian company that specializes in high-quality protection for motorcycles. Available at www.greenchiliadv.com. That's the sound of a letterpress that's over 120 years old, and back in the day, that was a marvel of technology, and it still is, really. You know, it was Johannes Gutenberg who invented the printing press, and that was back in 1440 to 1450, and that invention, the Gutenberg press, that was the epic center of our modern day books, because without Gutenberg's printing press, I guess we'd still be doing it like the Chinese did it back in, I don't know, 2010 or 2020, where they were putting ink on wooden blocks and pressing them on cloth. So Gutenberg made a huge jump for us. And he's directly tied, or maybe you could say indirectly tied, because there's been so many variations of the printing press since then, but to the books that we get today. And for you and me, that means a big deal, because it's our motorcycle books. You know, Elizabeth, my wife, and the producer of this show, was researching books and the printed word, and we got to talking about it and sort of discussing, wondering about the future of it, the printed word. With so many people spending increasing time on the internet, usually reading stuff like social media, that endless stream that comes at you, and less time reading things of quality, like a good motorcycle book, sort of wondered what's going to happen. You know, there's so many great books out there on motorcycling, it got me to thinking... And that, well, a little while later, led me to Amazon in the UK, looking at Graham Field's books. And yes, I get the irony of me surfing the web, contemplating how much time is wasted in that very place. But anyway, I saw Graham Field's books, uh, in particular the book In Search of Greener Grass, and I was really taken by the number of reviews and the number of people that went out of their way to write these reviews. They're good ones. So since I know Graham, I decided to give him a call. And this is our conversation.
2: Hello.
0: So, Graham, I'm, I'm looking around on the internet and, you know, looking at different books and things like that, trying to keep up on what's happening. And I come across your book, in particular, In Search of Greener Grass on amazon.co.uk. And I see you've got 110 customer reviews. How do you explain that? <laughs>
1: My mother's got a lot of Amazon accounts.
0: <laughs> I was just blown away by it. I mean, I'm thinking, this is great. You've got a lot of people buying this book. So this is, um, which number book was this?
1: That was my first book. um first one. And yeah, you're blown away. Imagine how I feel. I mean, I'd never written a book before. I've always written, but I'd never written a book before. And I did this book, put it out there, and it just connected with people and uh, you know we, we all have our bad days and you know if i if i'm feeling particularly down i'll go on amazon maybe it's a bit self-indulgent but read some of the reviews and see how my book has affected people's life what a wonderful thing to know that you've produced something that people hold in such high regard i i, I feel lucky but also i feel i feel privileged that people that People have seen it. I mean, God, if I wrote fiction, how the hell do you get a fiction book out of the public eye? At least I know where my audience is, where my niche audience is. And I went out and I went to bike shows and I stood there with my little books. I've never written a book. Do you want to buy my book? And (laughs) it, it went from there. And, um, people seem to like it. Thank God.
0: (laughs) Well, the thing that strikes me is that you could easily have done this trip and done nothing with it, which most of us do. But just by going through the work of actually writing down your thoughts and and, I mean, not that writing a book is simple because obviously it's not, but by doing that, by documenting your trip and putting it into a book, all of a sudden you're helping people.
1: Well, I think, what was the reason for Ryan? I think the reason for Ryan, it was because All my, well, for part of my life, people have told me, you should write a book, you should write a book. So the book, um, In Search of Greener Grass, was about, I bought a a 700-pound motorcycle, KLR650 off of eBay, and it took me east through Eastern Europe, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Russia, to Mongolia, which was my destination, and then ended up going further, which the reasons are revealed in the book. And so I think initially the reason for the book was to say look you don't need a privileged lifestyle you don't need backup you don't need sponsorship it was a very modest budget realistic budget and a very modest bike and it got i got to ride the dream ride that so many people wanted to do and so i think initially uh, i i did it to say to to encourage and inform and inspire and, and tell people you could do it but so one of the other constants in my life apart from motorcycles and travel, is that I've always kept a diary. So the, uh, the book is written in a diary format. So the chapters are very short, day by day. And the reader doesn't know what's going to happen any more than I did as the rider. So the, the two things that come across in the reviews is, well, the two repeated uh, 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 things that come across is, I felt like I was riding with him and the honesty aspect. Because some days, Jim, as I'm sure you know, and everybody who has done any kind of trip is, some days they're just shit. And sometimes (laughs) that's like that for a whole week. You don't have company, you're cold, you're lonely, whatever, you're not getting – you haven't got your mojo, you're just not feeling it. And and when it's miserable, I tell it like it is because it is bloody – it's a diary and you don't lie to your diary. Uh, Equally – it only takes one little thing, you know. You wake up in a miserable, horrible, bland hotel room. You go downstairs and you mechanically pack your panniers that you've been doing now for two months. And you wonder why you're doing it and why you're heading the same direction further away from home And perhaps that's the only thing that's on your mind is going back. And you turn a corner and there's an old man sitting on a bench and he looks up when he hears the sound of your engine. And he raises his head and he waves. And that's all it takes. The day has changed. And when and then and then you're related, and and all of a sudden, something else, Like you're stopped for a little roadside vegetable sale, and you have a little interaction. Those things are the journey, those are the memories that stay with you, the faces that that remain in, uh, when you recall the journey. And I think the, the honest aspect and the of, of that, that sometimes it's just poo, and sometimes it's just you couldn't imagine anything else you'd rather be doing, and you just want to ride every single day for the rest of your lives. So I think that's try and what, I, what I try and put across in the book.
0: And I think this is definitely for me what stands out as well is the the fact that it's not all roses, because there's so many times you talk to people about whatever. And I'm not going to pick on travel here. I mean, you talk to someone about anything that they do, especially things that are more extreme, like, you know, beyond the day thing. And they come up often. They'll tell you you know all the best things about it. But there are those down times that, you know, that that's reality. That's sort of tempering the story and making it more real.
1: It is reality. It's, 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 it's still life. It just happens to be life on the road. And not every day is good. That's the way it is. So. Uh, but you didn't start
0: that, that trip that to begin with. You didn't start out with a plan to write a book.
1: No, no. And I don't quite know where it came from. I remember riding through the, the steppe of Mongolia. And there was an idea in my head that I'd like to write a book. And I came – because I the reason I left, and I think the reason probably a lot of people leave to go traveling, is because – Perhaps they're not very happy with their lives. And I wasn't very happy with mine. My friends had all got partners, got married, having kids, playing happy families. And my social life had crashed. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to go off, take myself off. And that's what I did. So I wasn't probably in the best mindset ever when when I left. And and I remember riding across the Mongolian steppe thinking, I'm in search of greener grass. And I thought Hmm. that. Is a brilliant title, and when I next got internet, which is a long time because it's not readily available in Mongolia, um, I Googled in search of greener grass, and other than someone who'd written a little article about uh, photography and how to um, how to get greener grass through your lens or something, no one had used it. It's like, right, that's my title. That's my <laughs> title. And <laughs> then you've
0: got Eureka and Different Natures, the two other books. So, so I think I've asked you this before. I remember I was talking about this before, but. I Is that what you're doing for trips now? Or do you go on a trip looking to write a book?
1: Well, you see, that was the whole thing with Eureka. I went off again on the same bike, same budget, the same £750 KLR to go and prove another point and write another book. And I I went down through Turkey, Iraq, with the intentions of going on to the stands. And then wondered, why am I actually doing this? I'm not really enjoying it. Am I doing this to write a book, or am I doing it for me? And that's why it's called Eureka, spelt with a U, because um, there was this U-turn. I decided it wasn't working. I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. And uh, it wasn't, I I was just turning around and going home. I didn't have a home to go to. My, My home was rented out. But the second I made that decision and decided to turn around, the journey, which had really been a struggle for about the first, I don't know, however long it was, eight weeks, just turned around. It's like the planets aligned. Everything just fell into place. So to go off, to ride off, to think I'm going to go on a ride, I'm going to do an adventure, I'm going to write a book, is all the wrong reasons. And so after I made that U-turn, I thought, right, there'll be no book. This is just me, self-indulgent, having fun on my bike, and my money runs out. And then when I got back, I did try and write about it. And again, it was absolutely brutally honest saying, so I'm not enjoying this bit. I mean, there were, I mean, Iraq was fantastic, and I have memories of it constantly, and, and eastern Turkey and, and Georgia, and there were some great times, but I was doing it for the wrong reasons. And when, when I realized that and started doing it for the right reasons, when I wrote that, so many people said to me, oh, my God, I didn't realize it was okay to say that. I didn't realize it was all right to not enjoy what I'm doing and to have bad days and to you know give up on, on destinations and dreams and turn around. And then I started enjoying it. And ultimately, is that not why we ride bikes, you know, to to enjoy it, to have a good time? That is ultimately why we do it. So perhaps with Eureka Trip, I I set off for the wrong reasons. But luckily, I found out the right reasons and it all turned out right in the end. So I'm
0: curious, because you didn't start as an author and you sort of, I guess, almost fell into writing books. Would you recommend that other people do the same thing? Do you think it added to your trip?
1: It did for me.
0: Because it's not easy, right? I mean, you know, we, we've talked about this before. It's not like you're just going to sit down and whip out a book when you get home and be done in a couple of days.
1: It, it, no. I mean, it, it takes a huge amount of dedication. And although I get an awful lot of satisfaction off it, it is very selfish satisfaction. I shut myself away for three months or more. Uh, As long as the book is, however many days long the book is and only about 100 days, that's how long I'm shut away for. I see no one. I do nothing. I am reliving that trip as I write about it, which for me is so rewarding because I'm reliving it in the comfort of my own home. And so I very much enjoy the process of writing. But there's not room for a plant to be watered, a cat to be fed, or anybody else outside of that bubble of me creating the book. And I, I often get emails from people who say, oh, you know, I've done this trip and I'm trying to write a book. Have you got any advice? You just, you've just you just got to be dedicated. And I can't imagine how people who have families and wives and responsibilities and, and, and all these demands on their time can do it. I, I You know, I know they have writer's workshops and people say things like, you know, turn off the TV at nine o'clock, go to bed earlier, get up earlier, write for an hour in the morning before, you know, your life starts getting hectic and the phone starts ringing. But for me, I just have to switch everything off. And and that's the way I do it. And I'm kind of lucky because in the lifestyle I've created for myself, it it is a sort of a single lifestyle. And I can do that. No one does rely on me because (laughs) if they did, (laughs) they wouldn't see me for three and a half months.
0: You had a good story about Ted Simon reading your book.
1: Uh, when um, As the book started to gain popularity and get momentum, so I started to meet people who were sort of um, in the same field, people like Sam Manicom and Austin Vince. And the day came when I got to meet Ted Simon, and I was so, so starstruck. I mean, in, in, in the circles that we move in and the, and the people who listen to your show, he is iconic. He is at the top, you know. And um, I was so... Nervous and starstruck. Anyway, as as time has passed, I've I've met Ted several times. He stayed at my house, and um, there was an instant where um, he bought out his in camera book, which is a big sort of photographic um, coffee table book. And we did swaps. I I swapped Eureka for in camera, and uh, he went back to California, and I got an email from him, and he <laughs> said he said I'm sitting here on my balcony overlooking my vegetable patch with a nice glass of red wine, and I'm reading your book. And although I don't understand why you spelt it with a U and how you put me down in the first paragraph, (laughs) I must say I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And I thought, my God, what an email. Ted Simon has just written to me saying that he's reading my book and he's enjoying it. You know, this is a high point of my life. (laughs) So I copy and pasted it, and I put it on Facebook, and I was so proud. And the next time Ted came to the UK and I saw him, I said, I said, ah, oh, Ted. I said, thanks for those comments. I mean, that was lovely. I said, yes, yes. I said, put it down sh- shortly after that. Never picked it up again. If <laughs> 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 I'd have been quicker, I would have said, yeah, Ted. That's what people tell me about Jesus travels. <laughs> 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 but it is incredible how you know that that first book sat there in a, in a tiny room in the house. There was no heating. I had a little electric radiator. I was typing with fingerless gloves on. It was a super cold winter of 2011. Just banging out these, this book, That talking as if I was talking to someone in a pub. And and now, it, you know, it continues to sell. People continue to read it and and get these sort of feedback from people. And it, 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 it still amazes me that people come up and, and it shows... And tell me stuff about my trip that they remember that they read. So yeah, I'd forgotten that bit. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah that's really neat. I remember you saying before about you were you were doing this sort of in in, uh, in tough conditions, low on funds, and the whole bit, trying to put your book together. You had that much utter faith that this thing was going to make you some money.
1: I didn't have faith. I just it was just something I had to do. I'd been. I, I've always travelled, always, and and back in the day, I used to do message cassette tapes that turned into mass emails, and then eventually social media, and it, and I was always him. You should write a book. You should write a book. So, so I, I guess it's just something I had to do to see if I could, and uh, maybe other people believed it more than than I did, but I suppose I have to believe it now because it's happened, and uh, I I got an email out of the blue from someone. And it was this lady who had been divorced for her husband from some years, and her husband was dying of cancer, living alone. And she took it upon herself to nurse him, to be his nurse, while he was going through the last stages of, of his cancer in his life. And she said... And it was very traumatic. She was back in the house, which was once the family house, which she'd long left and with her children and brought up her children alone. And uh, when her husband eventually died, it was upon her to pick up all his stuff and, and sort it out. And she came across, this is in America, she came across a book, she said, which was called In Search of Greener Grass. And for some reason, she decided to take it home and read it. And she said, and she read the book, And she said, this estranged man who I hadn't known for so many years and then watched die, I felt, having read the book, that I had a better insight into his life because this was the sort of thing that he would read and enjoy. I thought, oh, my God, what an incredible email to get, you know?
0: (laughs) Wow, yeah, to to be part of people's lives. And you have no idea who's picking it up or where they're picking it up because, I mean, it's sold around the world, right? You get it on Amazon anywhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, with the cold Kindle thing, yeah, it's everywhere. So, yeah, it is, if if I do nothing else remarkable in my life, I at least manage that.
0: (laughs) So, just going through the books from the the first to the third, just sort of give us a quick rundown of what they are and give the title with them.
1: Okay, well, the first book, In Search of Greener Grass, was about how I was on a TV game show. I won £5,000, and I said on the TV game show that I was going to ride a motorcycle to Mongolia with the money. I knew nothing, nothing about what I was doing. I was really poorly researched, and I jumped on a KLR 650, and I rode to Mongolia, and then went beyond. So it was a 100-day trip. It was a £5,000 budget. It was a £750 bike. It was 15,000 miles, and that's basically what the, the synopsis of the book is. So then, uh, uh I decided, uh, then I did the second, a second trip, which was also 15,000 miles. Uh, this one took me down through Eastern Europe, through Turkey, down into Iraq, and then up to Georgia and East to Azerbaijan on the edge of the Caspian Sea. It was also 15,000 miles, also a hundred days long, also a 5,000 pound budget and the same KLR. And it was a very different trip. And, um, Again, all my books are in diary format and uh, it's called Eureka and spelled with a U because there was a U-turn. There was this euphoric moment of realization that what I was doing was wrong. And when I did the U-turn and turned it around, everything came right, which is why the the subheading is um, discovering the line between desire and contentment and riding it, which is a bit of a mouthful, but I couldn't make it any more concise. And that's exactly what it was about. (laughs) And the third and the third was a little bit risky because it was all going back to my diaries. It's three different trips between 2001 and 2012, which take you all – all three trips start in Colorado, and they go as far north as the Alaskan Arctic Circle and as far south as the Guatemalan border in southern Mexico. And I wasn't sure if I could, just from diaries, be able to tell these three stories – and I did, and it seems to have worked. It, uh, people seem to like it. There was a, there was a review recently in a bike mag in the UK, and it said uh, different natures could be seen as a filler. And, but and I thought, what's it going to say next? And then it said, but Graham Field pulled it off. Oh, thank god, for that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really the evolution. I mean, uh, the first trip in two thousand and one, making every single mistake you could, knowing nothing. The second in 2007, all a little bit influenced by what we'd seen with The Long Way Round and uh, me and two friends going up to Alaska, which was a very different trip for me because I'd never ridden with people before. I'd certainly never ridden in a very strict and regimented time frame where when we left, six weeks from the day we left, we had to be at a specific point to catch a pre-booked ferry. So there were daily allotted miles that had to be done. And although it was a lot of fun and I look back on it with really good memories, it was also made me realize I am never, ever going to do a trip like this again that is so, so um, time-specific and uh, because it it was tough at times. And then the third trip in that book was the trip in Mexico, which was solo and is very much about the complete opposite about having so much time and taking opportunities when they occur, becoming a surfer photographer on a, surfer beach in Mexico and just, and having time to take those opportunities, which I think uh, is what what it's all about when you do a motorcycle trip and what we all, when we do our uh, Adventure Rider Radio Raw with Grant Johnson and the Australians and Sam Manicom, I think the general thing is all about having the time. And, And Grant says over and over again, you know, people say, I've got this much time and I'm gonna go through this many countries and then realize actually, I'm not going to do that many countries. I'm going to cut it short because I need to slow the pace. And that's what happened in Mexico. And it was a, a wonderful experience.
0: Did you find going back through your diaries that when you're writing this, do you sort of, um, uh, pine for those times, is it, was it like a lost era? Uh, just because of the time thing in particular.
1: Um, perhaps the trip to Alaska, because they were two of my bestest and oldest friends. Um, who perhaps are in a position now where they can't do that again. But there was a very interesting point. We were on the Alcan Highway, and there was a, a, a marker post at the beginning or the end of the Alcan where everybody stops and have their photos taken. And there was this old bearded guy in a pickup truck, and I got talking to him, and he said, I did this trip in 1953. He said, it took us three months to get up here. I came up here with two friends, not riding in a a, a four-wheeled vehicle. I did this trip with two friends. He said, I thought I'd come up here again and see what it was like. And I thought to myself, wow, I "I wonder if we'll all do this again, you know. And I think it would have worked out in about 2046 or something. I thought, I wonder if we'll, we'll do it again. Or will I just do it on my own? And I thought, and if I do just do it on my own? How would that be? And I thought, actually, I want to be that old man, relive it. So, yeah, I kind of long for those times, but you've got to look forward. You can't look back.
0: Underneath your your book here, when I'm looking at Amazon um, in the UK here, In Search of Greener Grass, underneath it, it says, Frequently Bought Together, In Search of Greener Grass and Under Asian Skies. coupled up with Sam Manicom.
1: I He he. Uh, on my very first show, when my very first book came out, I went to a bike show and I first met Sam Manicom and he took me under his wing. And You wouldn't be talking to me now. I wouldn't be here now if it, if it wasn't for him. I owe him everything. He is so selfless. He sees the big picture. He promotes everybody. He got me initially doing presentations at the Hub, writing articles and, and everything. One of the best things about all of this has been beating Sam and, and now being our called him a friend. He's an he's a incredible guy.
0: So you originally come from the UK. We know this. I mean, we still know this just by hearing your accent. Um, But you don't live in the UK now, as I think a lot of people have heard from The Raw Show, that you're in Bulgaria. That's right. How did you end up living in
1: Bulgaria? Well, I, I, I knew nothing about Bulgaria. Nothing. And I realized when I was doing the trip, which became the Eureka book, that I was going to be traveling through it. And I put on Facebook... Um, I'm traveling through Bulgaria. I know nothing about it. Is there um, anything I should know? And uh, it was Austin Vince people who replied and said, oh, you should go at motor camp and stay at motor camp. And uh, so I ended up going there. And one of the things that happened at motor camp was I came across a lot of Brits who had relocated to Bulgaria. And I had this preconceived and uh, perception, but also based on fact of expats. My my theory is that people who have moved from their country to another country generally haven't travelled that much. They might have always lived in the UK, gone to Australia on holiday, loved aspects of it, and emigrated, or gone to Spain and emigrated. They weren't necessarily well-travelled, so all they saw was... Differences from their home country enough to change. But I'm quite lucky. I'm I'm really well-travelled. And every country has pluses and minuses. But Bulgaria seemed to have all these pluses, and I couldn't really find any minuses. And the one thing that was really remarkable about all the British people who I'd met who had relocated, some who had been there for seven and ten years. So they had a pretty fair view of seasons and, and, and what it was like to live there. And the one thing that had happened that they all had in common was all the British people had lost their ability to moan. Lost their ability to moan? Yeah, The one thing that unites us is we're all bloody moan. We moan about the weather, we moan about the government, we moan about the trains, we moan about the roads, we moan about bloody everything. That's what you do when you're English, when you're British, and they'd lost it. And I thought, well, this is quite, quite strange. Anyway, I ended up going on that trip to Bulgaria three times. And I guess that's probably when the seed was planted. And for two years, I contemplated This And I thought, I wonder if it's, you know, like school, where you have these wonderful romantic memories of what it's like, but you forget all about the detentions and the homework and all the nasty stuff. So i went back i was invited back uh, in 2015 to do a talk at the horizons meet that they had at, at the motor cab. and i thought well and i'd been looking on the internet for properties in bulgaria because i knew i was selling my place in england i didn't particularly want to buy another place they're so of a you don't get much for your money i was kind of fed up with with cameron's tory britain anyway and um and so i uh, i got to the airport and even in the airport in the capital something happened i walked out the doors and i thought no there's still a thing i still like it and i got picked up by a friend of mine whose car broke down which you could see as being negative but it was still there something about and in those and and my neighbor or my neighbor now this guy who i knew said well the house behind me is for sale and i went and looked at this house the house i'm sitting in now talking to you in and it just fitted the bill and i thought well i can't buy the first place i see i'm going to sleep on it and i couldn't sleep i was so excited the next <laughs> morning i just said yeah i'm going to have it and it was i don't make financial decisions easily but it was just it was just right and it is still right now a year over a year down the line and apart from the, the many aspects of bulgaria that i like firstly uh, okay it's the poorest Country in the EU, 26 countries. It's the poorest country. That's not necessarily a plus for the residents, but for some, a starving author who simply can't survive on an author's income. Because despite what you think, just because you've written three books does not mean you sit back sipping champagne and waiting for the royalty checks to roll in. Really it doesn't work like that. It really doesn't. I know you think it does, and I know <laughs> that everybody who's never written, never written a book, think it does. But we're not all. JK Rowling's, and we're not all who ever wrote Fifty Shades of Grey it doesn't work like that there are a few books that do and the other three million books on Amazon do not make people a living (laughs) so um, it does help when you've got a meagre income to live in a cheaper country but that's not really the reason for being here it's a country with a declining population which is very hard to comprehend when you come from somewhere like the UK or other countries which are popular amongst immigrants and constantly expanding when it's got particularly UK because it's got very defined borders it being an island and everything and it's just filling up it's filling up with houses that's why, why a, a friend I knew so poetically put it, he said, it's a terracotta invasion, the bricks and the, and the tiles of the constantly new built houses, which are just covering the country. So it's got a declining population. There's empty space. There's no such thing as rush hour. In the year I've been here, I have probably all told spent an hour in traffic, whereas I would spend that in one day going to work in the U.K., It's beautifully diverse from the mountains and the sort of the flatlands from the Black Sea coast to the beautiful capital. It's got all that going for it it's got proper season proper hard, brutal winters prolonged beautiful fragrant springs hot sweltering clear blue sky summers and just now in mid-august as i'm talking to you cooler evenings and cooler mornings and you just start to see the colors change in the trees as we approach our autumn so it's a beautiful country for nature and and silence tranquility empty roads mountains it really ticks all the boxes as everything I want. Bulgarians are lovely, passionate people. The language is so bloody difficult. I I had an hour one-to-one language lesson with my teacher yesterday. I had another hour and a half in my little group today. It's Today we did female plurals, which if there is a number in front of the female plural, the, the, the ending is different than if it's a a quantity of many as opposed to two so if it's two something it's got a different ending to if it's many something so female plurals have to by the time i have figured that out and correctly pronounced my sentence whoever i'm talking to will have completely lost attention how i'm Mm. ever going to learn this language but that for me is one of the downsides i want to be able to talk i want to be able to talk to people but my god the language is hard but that is kind of why i ended up coming to bulgaria i I always thought that somebody who has as travelled as I am would take different positive aspects from every country, from Thailand, from Georgia, from from Australia, whatever but i never thought that i would find one country where all the aspects of it were positive and they completely outweighed the few negatives and for me bulgaria was that country that i didn't think existed and uh, and i absolutely a year down the line have no regrets at all i love my life here it's great you
0: mentioned Motocamp. What is Motocamp?
1: Oh, okay. Um, Motocamp is basically a sort of a bed and breakfast for motorcyclists. It's uh, a, a small place. It's passionately run by a couple of guys, uh, Evo and Polly. And it's, uh, I think there's probably five or six rooms. And uh, it's you, the second you arrive, you feel the weight come off your shoulders everybody's been on the road for some time whether they've come up from africa or from the east turkey and from asia or down through western europe into uh, into sort of eastern europe there, you've been on the road for a while by the time you get to my account the second you get there you just feel this pressure lifts so the, the beer is on an honor system you just help yourself from the fridge uh breakfast is included and, and made and there is just this chilled atmosphere there isn't a single sign anywhere telling you what to do they treat you like adults there's nothing saying this plate is hot please clear up after you no noise after nine o'clock there's <laughs> nothing like that you are free to do whatever you want to do and even a workshop facilities where you can just go in and use their tools and everything the only sign which is new this year is one on one of the buildings the wooden buildings which says reception and shop because people didn't really know it was a receptionist shop. And if they didn't go in there, they wouldn't see mine and Sam Manicom's books for sale. That's the only sign <laughs> you can see in motor Camp. And if you, their website is actually motorsapiens.com uh, because it's owned by Dad, Doug Watke, who is an American who rides old Harley's all over the place and uh, is about to embark on the cannonball run next month from, uh, I think it starts in Atlantic City and ends in uh, San Diego.
0: And that's the hub, sort of, for all you expats?
1: It is. The thing is, uh, and there are, I think there's about 15 Brits here, a couple of Germans, and um, the one thing they all have in common is they all came here, because they came to the motor camp, and, and then ended up buying a house here so it's great i've got quite a diverse group of friends scottish welsh english all british but the one thing they all have in common is they've all traveled significantly on motorcycles so it's this community of of motorcyclists well-traveled motorcyclists on top of that you've then got the constant comings of going of the people who stay at motor camp so in a village which has got less than a hundred residents you've got a very clear sort of termographic of of the people who live here and uh, so it's great for social life and and what have you and and sort of having the bikes in common and uh, and, and, you know every year Motor Camp they host a Horizons Unlimited meeting every year and they bring out a different t-shirt for it and I said One of the logos, one of the catchphrases could be, you know, motor camp, I think I'll stay another night because everybody who comes says, oh, I think I might stay another night and people end up staying far longer than they think they're going to. And you could even do one for the expats at motor camp. I think I might buy a house here.
0: So when you say these, these 15 other people that are living sort of around you, these expats, is it like a bunch of like, uh, you know, uh, sort of retired travelers, people who have traveled a bunch and then now they don't go anywhere. They just hang around there and talk to travelers who come through motocamp?
1: There is a, an aspect of that. People still do go out on trips. And I mean, next week, this weekend coming, there's a little mini Horizons Unlimited in Montenegro. And coming from an island where you cannot spontaneously leave, you have to book ferries or channel tunnels or flights or whatever. It is so strange for me to live in mainland Europe where I can now spontaneously without any 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 arrangements whatsoever, just go off and go through Serbia and drop down into Montenegro and I can do that. I can go to Romania, I can go to Turkey, I can go to Greece, Serbia, wherever I want to go. I can just go on a whim. And I thought to myself, Oh yeah, I could just I could Get on the KLR now and I can ride to Montenegro, which is a beautiful ride. I've done it before. But I can't because I went back to the UK on a 36-hour marathon to bring a bike back. And in the 36 hours I was there, I stayed at my mum's house and she washed me trousers and my passport was in the pocket. So my passport got washed. It was good enough to get me back to Bulgaria but there's no way it'd be good enough for international borders and certainly not for getting visas in. So I'm currently without a passport as it's somewhere between here and the British passport office to get renewed. So, so although I do in theory have the ability to travel anywhere from here, I actually can't travel anywhere because I haven't got a passport at the moment.
0: So what's it like to ride in Bulgaria? Is it a rider's destination?
1: Um, it's the the, the drivers are, are fantastic. They, they've all got to be in front. Everybody overtakes everybody all the time. Uh, the roads are can be a bit potholed. I've just, I've got an old Harley that I've owned for 20 years and built from scratch, and I finally got it over here, and I took it out for a ride, and I got a pounding on my back. <laughs> uh, I've got to find a better road for that. Um, but it is. I mean, I, I know of better roads than the ones that I ride locally and I will head out to the mountains on these, and because people come and they, they just wax lyrical, just enthuse about some of the roads they've been, I know exactly where they are, they've marked them on my map, but I haven't done them yet I've got so much more to discover, so yes, it is a riders country, it has got some spectacular roads, and, and anywhere with mountain passes and airpins is, is a winner, I think so, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's definitely a, a good a good country for riding and, uh, and the fuel's relatively inexpensive and to keep bikes legally on the road isn't so much. So, I mean, yes, the brutal winters, you you really don't ride, but that's okay. That's why you have a shed.
0: <laughs> I'm sort of curious what it's like to live in a country like that, because you got to deal with bureaucracy and, and maybe law enforcement, all that sort of stuff. What is that like? Is that a, a real pain? Because you're saying you can't speak the language.
1: The, the bureaucracy is relatively simple. It's not too awful. Um, it sort of makes sense to me. Um, but
0: like, is it fair or is the type of thing you're having to go pay your way through with bribes and stuff?
1: No, no, there is no bribe. It, it's not a corrupt society, not on not on a civilian level. I mean, I can't. And I guess this is another thing. I don't know what's going on with government. I've got a, a good friend who lives in Sofia is much more switched on and gets very wound up and we're very annoyed at, uh, at what's going on. And, you know, money getting embezzled from European grants to build new roads and stuff like that. And when I first came here in 2013, I met up with this guy. We actually went on a demonstration in the capital. People were demonstrating every single evening, month after month, about the fact that an ex-communist had been voted into government and he was a media tycoon and was controlling the media. Uh, I kind of went along for well they were going anyway and I went along expecting some riotous violent screaming, window smashing, car burning protest. An actual fact, it was just something that everybody did after work. There were families with their kids, there were old people with their walking sticks, there were TV cameras. And as and I, I, de- I hadn't taken you know I hadn't taken my wallet, I hadn't taken a camera or a phone, was worried about muggings and violence and all sorts of thing and as i was walking along in the crowd which were chanting passionately but that was it someone rushed past me and i said oh here we go this is it. it's kicking off and all he was doing was getting past me to put his empty water bottle into a dustbin into a trash can (laughs) (laughs) so i'd really got the wrong it was peaceful but passionate protest and that went on for months so yeah as as a as a someone a a sort of a non-resident or a resident but a a, a sort of non-bulgarian living here The bureaucracy is minimal. When I go and register my vehicles now, I know the process. It works okay. Same with the insurance. Same with the paying the bills. So it's not overly difficult. Yes, I need my friends who can translate for me. But... Uh, but they do it, and they do it willingly. And whereas in the UK, if you go into a shop where there was a product that you might not perhaps know that much about, you generally try and find an older shop assistant who might be a bit more experienced. Over here in Bulgaria, I'd always try and find the youngest shop assistant because they're the ones who will be able to speak English. <laughs> 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 so it's, I, 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 got, I got a chiropractor at the moment because I got a, a bad back, he was asking me about you know how I find it here. And I, some days you can't face the challenge. Some days I've got to go and buy something, and I. I know it's going to be a real chore because of the language difficulty because of trying to explain what i want and i said i just want one day to walk out of my door and life to be easy and she translated what i'd said to her colleague and uh, and she laughed said yeah we all want that <laughs> <laughs>
0: and of course that was Graham Field and you can find out more about Graham and his books as well by visiting his website www.gramfield.co.uk now don't go anywhere stay with us because we're going to be right back in a minute talking with David Hoff about lane splitting in California and what they've done with the law Adventure Rider Radio is supported by AeroStitch. For 33 years, AeroStitch has been designing, making, and selling equipment that makes riding anywhere in all weather easier, safer, more comfortable, and more fun. That's www.aerostitch.com forward slash ARR. And if you go to that URL, it's going to get you 10% off your order, or if you're a repeat customer, it's going to get you free shipping on your next order. Let's them know you came from here, from Adventure Rider Radio. Now, I've mentioned before, if you don't know, Arrowstitch has an incredible catalog. It's packed with, I think, a couple hundred pages of motorcycle gear. And you can download it from their website, or you can order the paper version, have it mailed right to your door. Now, if you don't know already, I'm a huge fan of the Aero Stitch Catalog because I mean it's all motorcycle gear. You have to love that. But also it has a lot of things in there that it's difficult to find elsewhere. So it's really neat to have it all packed into one spot. But something really cool about the Aero Stitch Catalog is that when you sit down and flip through those pages, maybe you're reading one of the many stories they have in it. They got all these little stories about different things about the gear or motorcycling. But the entire time you're doing it, I guarantee you. Yes, I'm making a guarantee here. You will never get a Facebook notification popping up or an email alert sounding as you read. Com forward slash ARR. And of course, anytime you're dealing with them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. usa motorcycle rentals is a pss company that's puget sound safety off-road they're located in washington state they rent motorcycles they have bmw f800 gs's klr 650s triumph tiger xc r1200 gs all there for you to rent by the day week or more this is a whole fleet of adventure bikes ready for you to grab anyone you want the website to go to is tourusa.us. I have to admit, when I went there, I was, I was surprised to find that I can rent a KLR650 for as little as 110 bucks a day if it's over 14 days. Now, if I just want it for a day or two, it's only 125 bucks, So, if, you know, you're flying in for business or to visit relatives or, I don't know, maybe go to a, a wedding or something like that, and you got a few extra days, or maybe you can work a few extra days. What better way to do it than to rent a bike? And, and let them worry about prepping it and maintaining it. Drop by their website, www.tourusa.us. That's tourusa.us. And let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, August 19th, 2016 will sort of stay in the history books, I guess, at least for motorcyclists here in North America and especially in the United States. Because on that date, August 19th this year, the state of California legalized lane splitting for motorcyclists. Now, to me, from what I read with the law, it seems sort of vague, but... So we decided to get a hold of David Huff, the author of Proficient Motorcycling, More Proficient Motorcycling, and a host of other books and articles to discuss what this means for the average rider. David Huff is the author of Proficient Motorcycling, Mastering the Ride, and a bunch of other great motorcycle books. David, good to have you back on the show once again.
2: Thanks. Glad to be here.
0: Lane splitting is now legal in California, officially legalized uh, August 19th, 2016, and now that is only the state of california now this may be or may not be the keystone that gets other states to follow and we'll talk about that but first david let's start with what is lane splitting at least as you see it
2: well lane splitting is being able to use the space between lines of cars to ride your motorcycle down and of course we're talking narrow bikes not trikes or sidecar So the idea is that you can fit the same number of cars on the road with or without motorcycles alongside them. And so uh, lane splitting has also been called lane sharing, filtering, white lining, you know, a lot of names. And in the past in California, there has been no legal definition of that. So that's why we use the different terms.
0: In places like Australia, there's some places in Australia where splitting and filtering. Well, well, first of all, they I think they look at splitting and filtering as completely different. Lane splitting they see is high speed lane splitting. In other words, you have a vehicle in either lane and you're going through it at a, a fairly quick clip between these two vehicles. Whereas filtering is only when you're stopped at lights. And apparently, filtering is legal there, but splitting is not because they're they're yeah. sort of two different animals.
2: Well, throughout uh, it isn't just uh, it isn't just. Um, Australia and New Zealand, where people uh, share the lanes, uh, but uh, in Europe it's quite common. It's just, uh, I mean, my gosh, in Italy, it's not just with with bikes. If you can fit your car through, you do. You know, in in Italy, you go down and there's uh, painted lines which which define three perfect lanes, and there's four lanes of cars going down it. <laughs>
0: You know, so <laughs> well. So what, have, what have they been doing in California up till now? I think motorcyclists have been doing this for a very long time, and this is sort of just the the pen and ink that makes it official and legal. But what have they been doing? Lane splitting, filtering? Have they been going through lanes of vehicles at high speed, or is it only at stoplights?
2: Well, th- this of course depends on on who you're talking to. Uh, I stopped off one time to talk to uh, some CHP officers. I was just riding down the road in California, and there was a sign, you know. Um, highway patrol office, so I pulled in, you know, and I asked the officer, and the officer who was not a motorcycle cop said, well, he thought it was dangerous, and he would arrest anybody that he saw doing it. The officer at the next desk, there are two officers in, in that office. The other one said, well, he was a motor officer, and he considered that it was perfectly safe as long as you weren't doing more than about 40 or 50 faster than traffic, hmm. you know, so... Uh, you know, is that, is that high speed? Uh, I don't know, but it, it's a different attitude. Now, back then, there was no law which said that it's illegal to to split. Let's just call it split, right? So we know what we're talking about here. Okay. Um, so there was no law in, in California that actually used any of those terms. So it wasn't legal. It wasn't illegal. And some people think, well, if it's not illegal, it must be legal. No, 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 no. If the law doesn't say this is legal to do this, then it's not legal, but it may not be illegal either. So in the case of splitting, it was neither legal nor illegal. It wasn't even defined in the law. And the officers would say, well, look, there's all kinds of laws on the book. So if a guy is splitting and doing it dangerously, we can pull him over and, and uh, you know catch him for a failure to signal lane change or whatever. You know, mm. There's lots of laws we can nail somebody if we want to. So I, I my personal preference would be to keep doing it that way. Um, once you define it now everybody gets their finger in the pot and I don't know why it is in North America that we feel a need to define every little stinking thing with some law you know and then there are more laws than anybody could possibly remember whereas say in Europe they say well um, you know uh, try and try and use some common sense here and don't do anything that endangers people you know if you're if you're uh, well, let's say you're riding down in in uh, Republic of South Africa, and the, and the speed limit is, uh, you know, 100 kilometers per hour, and you come to a village, well, you should slow down. You should slow way down, because there are people and dogs and carts. There shouldn't have to be a sign that says, look, you need to slow down here. But in the United States, and unfortunately in Canada as well, we feel that we need to have a sign for everything. Out front, on uh, my driveway goes out to Shore Road, and on Shore Road, T's into another road down about you know, six city blocks and there's a sign, you know, stop sign ahead. <laughs> and then you come down the end and then there's a stop sign. Uh, I mean, really? Do do we need either of those two signs? I mean, is it not obvious that, that you know, there's traffic that could be going by and you should watch for it and not crash into them?
0: You know, I I, I get what you're saying and, and I'm totally on board with you there, but, but it's an interesting thing we discovered this summer, um, traveling around my wife and I, camping in different spots And we ran into so many times where people would do things that we will not so many times a few times where people would do things that we would never do to someone like for instance setting up camp beside them and partying until the wee hours of the morning when there's when we're the only two people in the in the right. whole area or another one who we woke up at six o'clock in the morning or whatever it was and have a drone flying overhead um, <laughs> and, and, and it all of a sudden it dawned on me I thought you know because I hate rules I hate it when they start adding rules and saying oh you can't do this you can't do that but it dawned on me are they making the rules not for us it's for those people the ones that just can't seem to get it you know
2: well but the problem is that the people who can't get it won't get the rules either mm, you know that's, for instance, that's a good uh, my, point my, my wife and i were over in glacier national park sitting at beautiful lake mcdonald lodge it's peaceful and quiet and, you know and and all of a sudden off in the distance blah 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 blah, we hear the approaching the twin you know motorcycles now there's a parking lot for motorcycles there's, actually there's a parking lot uphill from the lodge uh, several hundred feet away and has spaces for motorcycles clearly marked. But these guys don't stop there. They come all the way down the hill back into a no parking zone, <laughs> blat the <laughs> throttle a few more times, shut it off and then a few minutes later having not participated or spent any money you know they they blat away again. And you know you could pass all the laws you want. I mean there are laws on the books about illegal mufflers but nobody's enforcing them and these guys wouldn't care either so uh, unfortunately there are people out there who don't care so when you get down to lane sharing or lane splitting say in california or any other state you know the people that you really need to get the information to are the car drivers so that they don't uh, intentionally open the door into you or something but in california car drivers get it they already get it i was traveling out of england and traffic was so tight i would made the mistake to agree to meet a guy uh, you know up at an Air Force base on a Friday night, you know, just in the rush hour. And it was so tight that I, I had a borrowed R100 with uh, the uh, narrow saddlebags on it. And at one point, the cars on both sides of me touched the saddlebags. You know, wow. motor- it, was that, it was that close. But um, it was explained to me it drivers assume that motorcyclists are going to split in that kind of traffic because, as they said, at least one bloke can get home on time. You know, so we have a different attitude here in in our area. If you split traffic, people would intentionally try and kill you. Yeah, Yeah, you know.
0: No, oh, I can see that. I think that happens a lot. Well, well according to... Now, this is the official uh, the, the official wording of the Act, and I'll say that my impression is that it's not defined, that it really is sort of wide open. Yeah. So uh, Assembly Bill Number 51, Chapter 141, we go through all the... Uh, what they want to do is they want to add, or they're adding, I guess they've already added, Section uh, 21658.1, and A, subsection A of this, reads this... Um, For the purposes of this section, lane splitting means driving a motorcycle, as defined in section 400, referring to another section, that has two wheels in contact with the ground between rows of stopped or moving vehicles in the same lane, including on both divided and undivided streets, roads, or highways. Now, you'll note in there, they're saying stopped or moving.
2: Well, which uh, so let's say you get your choice with traffic. It's either stopped. Or it's moving. What else is there? But there's
0: there's no definition there. They're not saying like up to a certain speed or staying within 40-kilometer difference?
2: originally, Originally, when they thought of doing this, somebody tried to come up with all this gobbledygook which would define it. You know, like, you can't be doing more than 32 miles an hour faster than traffic, or, you know, all these rules. And they realized that that would be unenforceable and just ridiculous. So they've toned it down. And so what we, what the law reads now is kind of um Similar to my thought of let's let's just kind of keep it simple and not get carried away with all the rules and regulations and uh, and leave this up to people. People can get through traffic if you just get out of their way.
0: Well, what subsection B says is the Department of of the California Highway Patrol may develop educational guidelines relating to lane splitting in a manner that would ensure the safety of the motorcyclist and the drivers and passengers of surrounding vehicles. So they're sort of leaving it open to the Department of the California Highway Patrol to make up guidelines. They're not saying saying laws, but they're saying guidelines. I mean, I assume if they're making the guidelines.
2: I'm fine with that, Uh, although I have to kind of chuckle when they say that they're doing this. To make motorcycling safe And we know that motorcycling is very dangerous But okay, minor little glitch But I, I like the idea of not saying We're going to define lane splitting uh, in law that, That's all, you know, very, very carefully Anal retentive type stuff that defines it I, I'm I'm much better off with saying that the highway patrol can come up with rules and regulations to help them to understand who gets arrested and who doesn't.
0: But doesn't and it just evolve, though? Doesn't it just go on so somebody gets a ticket, they go and they fight it in court, and then it gets defined, and each little instance gets defined until there's a whole definition?
2: Well, that's that's the way the law works. But hopefully in this process somewhere, people realize that that uh, there's after a certain level, uh, it's just getting ridiculous. Let's not go there, you know, so... Uh, I kind of liked it the way it was because there wasn't much that a lawyer could could put his handle on. Um, I was talking to a lawyer one time, and I said, well, is it legal or not? And he said, no, Dave. He says, you don't understand. Uh, You think it's a clear running stream with rocks in it to step on, and we'll tell you where they are. Our job is to step into the river and stir up the mud so that nobody knows where anything is. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And so, so you know, when you – when you have as many lawyers as we do in the United States, I don't know what the percentage of lawyers is in Canada, but in the United States, it seems like we got about one lawyer per per population, you know. And uh, but um, the idea is to try and stir the laws, take the laws, and try and figure out any way that you can to uh, twist it into your favor. So whatever law you have, somebody's going to twist it, but. I kind of like the idea of let's let's make life simpler, let's not make it more complex. Let's go more for the European approach where if you're riding your bike up in the Alps and you're stupid enough to you know miss the road and go off the cliff and the motorcycle goes you know three thousand feet straight down into the rock, uh, would the would your relatives please go up and pick up the motorcycle and get it out of our state park? You know, not, not all oh, the poor guy, we should put up a sign and a guardrail and, you know, a sign that there's a guardrail ahead and, you know, uh, the way we do it around here. So uh, I kind of like that approach where uh, it's a matter of responsibility. You're responsible not to crash into other people.
0: What does this mean for the rider now? What's going to change for the average rider in California?
2: I don't think anything will change. I think that motorcyclists are going to continue doing what they do. Somebody, uh, and bear in mind, it always takes people two years to find out anything, you know. So two years from today, somebody will be saying to his writing buddy, um, hey, so what about the splitting law? And it'll be, huh? <laughs> you know, and so things will, things will done. But unless an officer stops somebody and and says, look, you were doing something illegal or dangerous or whatever, uh, then there's no need to change, is if you're in California and traffic is all jugged up on the I 5, um, you know, and there's room to split and your saddlebags, yeah, you're not riding a BMW 1200 Adventure with 48 inch wide saddlebags, you know, then you're going to split. Uh, and questions come up of, well, is it safe? Well, riding a bike in traffic is not safe. And sitting between two, you know, three, four thousand, Pound SUVs in traffic is definitely not safe because because people are putting on lipstick and reading the paper and you know and texting and all sorts of things looking for Pokemons, you know and uh, you know <laughs> and, they'll, they'll, and they'll crush you you know so so being able to split at least gives you the advantage of getting out of their way um, and uh, and once people get used to this and I think this issue is one where perhaps. If the uh, CHP said, "Well, we'll have an educational campaign," but the educational campaign is not for the motorcyclists; it would be for the commuter car drivers who are going to have motorcycles zipping through, you know, and and uh, you know to educate them. This is legal, well, or at least it's not illegal. And uh, so I, I think that that would be wise, just to just to inform people. There are a lot of folks I know around here who would say. Uh, you know a motorcycle pulls out into the road and they run into you, you say well but you're just on a motorcycle I didn't think you had you know I didn't think it was a real vehicle So letting people know that that it's okay by the state I think is a step in the right direction whether this will gravitate to other states I don't know I don't think it's going to be easy because so many states have had this attitude that just about anything you want to do is dangerous so you better have a law against it.
0: Well, that was my next question was, do you think this is going to to cause other states? I mean, everyone's talking about this. There was a petition a while ago that a bunch of people signed trying to get it legalized nationally, which I'm told uh, would never happen. It just can't be done that way. Um, But you don't think other states are going to look at this and say, well, California is doing it?
2: It could be done nationally, except that the uh, uh, NHTSA, the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, um, is pretty anal retentive, and they – they don't think of any new ideas.
0: Um, but why is that? Sarcasm aside, why is that? Is, is it because there it's liability issues?
2: Well, number one, it's a huge bureaucracy. It's just huge. I mean, the Department of Transportation, I don't know what their annual budget is, but it's but it's huge, you know, right up there with the Department of Defense, I think. And, and so uh, uh, NHTSA is looking primarily at cars. They're not looking at motorcycles. Motorcycles are maybe five percent of the registered vehicles on the road so that's not worth even thinking about you know and to some degree um i think that we motorcyclists should not expect special favors either i think we should be treated just like all other drivers so i it wouldn't bother me if we did it uh, italian style you know make another row of cars, if that moves traffic along. The idea being, let's move traffic along, not slow traffic down. So uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of a maverick that way, but I think that um, uh, motorcyclists should understand that we are just other drivers in the traffic stream, not this special breed of people who deserve some kind of special uh, rules or attention.
0: Well, I guess we'll have to see if this uh, this new officially <laughs> legal law gets motorcyclists further ahead
2: (laughs) well it it will be that and you know give it uh say five eight years there may be other states because california has a track record of having done things first and then other states may follow along you know
0: david thank you very much you're welcome i've been speaking with david l hoff who is a contributor to the motorcycle consumer news he's also the author of like i said proficient motorcycling and many other books you can find out more about david by searching for david l hoff on something like amazon or anywhere you buy books Adventure Rider Radio is supported by, in part, Max BMW Motorcycles, who's been outfitting Adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter, too. It's free at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, when you're on the road or off the road for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your electrical system and will inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA and has a lifetime warranty, which is new. It's the pump we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. See it for yourself at www.cyclepump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear, who offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles, tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. Green Chili Adventure Gear is also the exclusive USA distributor for Outback Motor Tech, a Canadian company that specializes in high-quality protection for motorcycles. Available at www.greenchiliadv.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener. Thanks for listening. Hey, if you like what we're doing and you want to help support the show, drop by our website, click on the donate button, and send us what you can. Anything $10 or more is going to get you a gift sent right back at you in the mail in the form of a sticker that I hope you stick on your bike and you send us a photograph of. And you can always drop by our Facebook page and like our Facebook page. We do post things on there that you don't hear about here on the show, so it's kind of neat to stay in touch. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. No excuses. See you next week.
2: My name is Michelle Lamphere, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.